come on, are you willing to say, my life is not my own. I give myself to you. Wherever you want to take me, however you want to use me, whatever you need to take out of me that I could be filled with you, are you willing to ask God to do that today? Amen. We are the light of the world. If we do not shed our light abroad, the world will be dark. If we do not tell people about Jesus, people will go to hell. You know what? That's a hard word to say these days. We don't want to talk about that. But God has placed his spirit inside of us. We're responsible for what we do with the spirit of God. What we do with the gifts of God. What we do with our lives. God holds us responsible. When we stand before the Lord, he's going to say, hopefully to all of us, well done, faithful servant. You have shed my light abroad. You've allowed me to use you to touch the lives of others. Here is a soul winner's crown because you have been faithful. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to switch things up here a little bit. I'm going to do my message first this morning because this song just really, really moved me. We give our lives away. We surrender our lives to Christ that he could be alive in us. Amen. Amen. And God will use us in the strangest places to do the strangest things. I walked into a lady's restroom a few days ago and a little boy was in the stall there with his mom. And he says, Hey, what's your name? <laughs> now the mom is horrified. She's going, shh, shh, shh. And I say, Hey, what's your name? <laughs> and you know what? There in the bathroom stall, I got to share Jesus with someone. You know, in uh, South Africa, where we live, we live in a town called Mokopani, and there's a strong Muslim influence in the town. So there's a shop that we go to quite often called Stan's Boutique, and they sell clothing, and they sell shoes, and fabric, and all kinds of things. The shop is run by a Muslim family, and I have made friends with the shop owner's wife. Her name is Achoo, just like when you sneeze, Achoo. A chew. Well, I invited a chew on an outing with me. She was so excited. We had the date arranged. I was picking her up at the shop. I was driving. I was going to take her home when we were finished. I was excited. Well, what happened was, or at least I think what happened was, a chew talked to her husband and he said, No way. So she called and canceled. But what happened? is I was able through Christ to build a bridge. A chew is like a best buddy now. Now her husband doesn't like it when we talk. So when I go into the store, we huddle beneath the ladies' clothing and we talk about Jesus. Amen. Amen. We talk about clothes. We talk about fabric. We talk about all kinds of things, but we talk about Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen. Um, I just have a few scriptures I want to share with you. And our friend that's in the sound booth is probably wondering, what is she doing? 
Well, I'm not doing what I said I was going to do, so I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, um, I want to look at a passage out of Second Kings. So, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to, please turn to Second Kings, chapter two, verse nineteen. 2 Kings, chapter two, verse nineteen. I love the stories about Elisha. He's an amazing man of God. Amazing, amazing. Do you know that he was plowing a field? He was working in his family's business. He was plowing a field, and the prophet Elijah saw him and recruited him to do ministry. Today, God is recruiting us to do ministry. He's sending out an invitation. Join me in touching lives here on earth. Lives that will be affected for eternity. And it says that Elisha walked away and began to follow Elijah. So this is a story. Elijah had been taken to heaven. His mantle or his cloak had fallen on Elisha. And this is the beginning of Elisha's ministry. And it says, one day the leaders of a town in Jericho visited Elisha. Now, you know what? When we're called and anointed by God, leaders will visit us. I'm telling you, when you're called and anointed by God, people of influence are going to seek you out for advice and guidance. And we're prayed up, we're filled up, we're walking in the Holy Ghost, and God's going to give us wisdom and sound advice and understanding to help leaders, to help people of influence. And they said to Elisha, We have a problem. Every day in our lives, people should be saying to us, I have a problem. I need you to help me. Something is going wrong in my life. It's serious. I have a problem. I don't have answers. Could you please help me? And we step up and say, it would be my honor. It would be my privilege to pray with you. It would be a blessing for me to open the scriptures and share with you about the goodness of God. So they tell Elisha, we have a problem. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see. But the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Things can look good in people's lives. Things can look beautiful. The house looks good. The clothes look good. The car looks good. The degrees on the wall look good. The children look good. The husband and wife look good. Everything looks good, but underneath there's a problem. Things aren't refreshed in their lives. Things aren't flowing. They're thirsty. They're dry. They're hungry. It looks good. But underneath, it's not good at all. Their lives are unproductive. Their lives are dry and barren. Their lives aren't fruitful. It looks good, but there's nothing of substance there. Amen. And they ask Elisha, what should we do? And I love how Elisha responds. He responds in the same way that we should respond when people say to us, what should I do? What should we do? 
Elisha says, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water, and he threw the salt into the stream. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified the water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure to that day. So let's just talk for a few minutes. The leaders of Jericho. Jericho is a place called the palm or the palm trees, the grove or the grouping of the trees that are palm. Palm trees are important in history. Jericho is an important place in history. Jericho is where the walls fell down. The walls had fallen down, but yet underneath those walls was impure water. You know the story in scripture when Zacchaeus, the tiny little guy that climbs the tree to see Jesus, that happened in Jericho. In Jericho, people were looking for Jesus. They were willing to climb a tree to the highest point so that their eyes could be opened and they could see something spiritual in their place of desperation. That's Jericho. The leaders approach Elisha. They refer to him with a title of dignity and a title of respect. Listen. For people to approach us, to learn about Christ, we have to be people of dignity and people of respect. And the things in our life that don't give glory to God, the things in our life that are disrespectful to God and disrespectful to others, we have to cast off in the name of Jesus. You know, those things that we do that just are marginal, Those that got to go. Those things that we do that don't uplift people, they have to go. Those actions, the things that we do that alienate other people, they have to go. The things that make people intimidated by you, that make people afraid to approach you, they have to go. Amen? Amen. Have you ever met someone and you think to yourself, oh, they're a little scary? Come on. I've met quite a few people like that. You know what? I don't want to be a scary person. I don't want someone to be afraid to talk to me because of how I'm going to react. I don't want someone to be afraid to approach me because I'm moody. I don't want someone to say, she's a crazy lady. I'm scared of what she's going to say and do. Okay. I don't want that. We can't have that in our lives. We have to be people of dignity. We have to be people of respect. We have to be people of good moral character. Our people will not approach us to know and understand spiritual things. Amen. We have to be water purifiers. We have to understand that we have the bowl of the Holy Spirit. We have the salt of God that purifies and cleanses and heals. We have to know what we do with the presence of God in our lives. We have to understand the power that God's given us and use that power to make a difference. 
Amen. Amen. So it was a new bowl. It wasn't a bowl that had ever been used. You're a bowl. There's no bowl like your bowl. Amen. I took a pottery class one time and you know what? It was a lot of fun, but you know, getting that clay centered on the wheel is very hard to do. And if you don't, your thing comes out wobbly. Well, my pieces of pottery were so heavy that they were like weaponry. Really? I mean, all I'd have to do is just hit someone with it and they'd be knocked out. I mean, it'd be a little tiny bowl like this, but it was so weighted at the bottom because I couldn't get the process down that it could have been just, I don't know what. And my husband insisted my pottery be everywhere in the house, even though it was ugly. Isn't that sweet? But you know what? You're a bowl. Your shape is different than anyone else's shape. Your giftedness is different than anyone else's giftedness. You can do things that no one else can do. You're a bowl. And inside your bowl should be salt. Salt represents all kinds of things in scripture. But I can guarantee God has called you to heal and restore. God has called you to preach the gospel. God has called you to lay your hands on the sick. God has called you to minister the power of the Holy Spirit. God has called you to share words of salvation. God's given you words of wisdom and words of knowledge to teach and preach to set people free. God wants to use your gifts your gifts, your bowl to change the world for his glory. So Elisha took the bowl. He took the bowl with the salt. Okay. Now I just want to say people's problems are messy. They're messy. They're messy. Has someone ever told you their problems and you think, I just want to get out of here. Now, come on. Life is complicated. Life is messy. Life is messy. I was speaking a couple years ago at a woman's event, and this woman comes up to me. She's an older gal, and she says that my sister has, her sister had passed away, and she's living on some property that her sister and her sister's husband, so her brother-in-law owned. And she says, my brother-in-law has continued to let me live there. And I said, well, well, that's good. She goes, no, you don't understand. My brother-in-law requires I have sex with him every week to live there. Now, I thought to myself, this is way out of my league here. What do you say to someone like that? But you know what? God gives the right word in the right season. You're a bowl. You're salt. God knows how to distribute the salt inside of you. He knows exactly what kind of salt. Used to be when I was growing up, there was one kind of salt and had the little person with the umbrella. That was it. Now there's Himalayan salt, right? There's all kinds of salt from all parts of the world. Different salts are used for different things. People who are great chefs or cooks use all kinds of salts. God knows your salt and exactly how it needs to be used. The water that was there in Jericho represents life. It represents new birth. It represents fertility and growth. Amen? 
Okay. The leaders of Jericho were saying, we need to go from natural destruction to spiritual life. Now they maybe didn't know that's what they were saying, but that's what they were going to get. And that's how it is with us. People tell us their problems or tell us their needs. They tell us how they're hurting and maybe they don't know exactly why they're telling us, but we have something to give an offer. It may look different than they expect. It may be wrapped differently than they expect, but it's good. That new bowl is the new wine, the new life, that salt that heals and purifies. It's the flavor of Christ. And the spring is restored. That place of refreshment, that place of spiritual renewal, Elisha throws the salt like he's spreading the seed abroad and the water is purified and cleansed. There's another passage of scripture I want to look at, and that's Luke chapter 14, verse 13. Luke chapter 14, verse 13. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, this is all good. We're bowls, we're salt. What do we do? You know, what do, how, what do we do with that? What do we do with the presence of God? How do we share? How do we spread our salt? How do we take our bowl and have it be useful for the things of God? Well, in Luke chapter 14, verse 13, this is a very practical scripture about how we can share our lives with others. Amen? So this is from the Amplified Version. Okay? So the Amplified Version says, When you give a banquet... Or reception, invite the poor, the disabled, the lame, and the blind. So I just want to break this down. When you, we're talking about you, talking about me, we're talking about everyone that's present here. When you, the people of God, okay, give a party, but it doesn't really mean give a party. It means as you're living your life every day. As you're living your life, as you're getting up in the morning and preparing for your day, as you're busy working hard and providing for your family, as you're going to school, as you're in your car going to work, as you're waking up and making breakfast, as you're just thinking about your day when your alarm goes off, make sure that you have something to share with the world. The only way you're going to have something to share is when you've put salt in your bowl. Amen? Have something to share. Have something in your heart that you can say. You can't solve everyone's problem, but you know someone who can solve their problem. You can introduce someone to the master counselor, right? You can introduce someone to the man who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, whose wealth can't be measured, who can't be put in a box and defined because he's so big that we can't understand. You can introduce someone and tell them, look at the ocean. See how vast it is? God's love is bigger than the ocean. You have to have something to share. You have to be, or we have to be purposeful about including others. 
making time, spending time, making promises, keeping commitments. That's what our bowl should look like. We're people who wake up every day and say, God, use me. I surrender to you. Use me. Use me. Not someone else. Use me. I want to be used by you. And I'm making time in my day. I am being purposeful. At the end of the day, when I look back on the hours that I've spent awake, I can measure how you've used me to change someone's lives. And then it says, when you give a banquet or a feast or a reception, you know what? That means any time of gathering. All right? When you're getting a cup of coffee in the break room. When you're out in your driveway and the neighbor approaches you and wants to chat. All right? When you go through Starbucks line. All right? When you're having lunch, when you're having breakfast, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the bank, when you're running errands, God, it's a gathering. It's an opportunity to celebrate Christ. And then it says invite. You know what? Inviting looks different these days. We don't send invitations in the mail too much, right? We call, we text, we evite. Is that what it's called? We post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all kinds of things. But we need to invite people into our lives. We call them by name. The invitation is personal, just like Christ's invitation to us is personal. We receive them just as they are. You know, we all have pet peeves, things that bug us about other people, right? For me, it's smell. Now, you know what? I need to get over it. I've been in South Africa nine years. Most of the time, people don't have running water. They take bucket baths if they bathe at all. And a lot of times, parents don't really bathe their children. They put Vaseline all over their kids and wipe them off to get the dirt off. So I'm thinking when I'm getting on the plane to come back here to the States, I'm thinking, hallelujah, sweet smells. I get in my seat on the Delta flight, and there's the stinkiest man imaginable sitting in front of me. I'm thinking, Lord, I can't escape this. But maybe I'm not supposed to escape it. You know the things about people that drive you crazy. You know what? We got to just press through it. We got to move on. Whatever that thing is, we got to move on. Amen? So when we give a gathering, when we're someplace, we invite people to be part of our lives. And when it says that we invite the poor, the poor is defined in scripture, obviously with people that have no money, but it's defined in a different way as well. People who have no influence, people that no one cares about. You know, those people that um, just kind of sit in the corner. How many of you are familiar with Winnie the Pooh? I'm sure all of you are. There's a scene in one of the Winnie the Pooh shows where Eeyore is off kind of in the corner. And we all know that Eeyore needs counseling, right? Yeah, he needs counseling. But um, Pooh walks by and he greets Eeyore. And this is how Eeyore responds. 
Thanks for noticing me. Thanks for noticing me. We notice everyone. We look and see who's hurting. We look and see who's rejected. We look and we find, we seek out those that are lost to welcome them into our lives. So they're people that have no position, no place of honor. They're people that are hurting, people that don't understand Christian principles and eternal riches, people that look powerless, and they have no hope of escape without help. Amen? Amen. I always think of um, people who are desperate and they are in a pit. You know, you can't climb out of a pit. The walls are too slippery. You can't crawl out. You can't just say, I'm going to muster up enough strength to climb out of this pit. I'm just going to be strong and I'm going to jump my way out. No, the pit's too deep. The only way to get out of a pit is if someone helps you. We're the rope throwers. Come on. We're the water bottle carriers. We're the people with the medical bags. Right? Come on. We're the people with the bandages. We're the people with the peanut butter crackers in our back pocket. That's the kind of people we are. Here, let me throw you a rope. And I'm going to wrap the rope around the rock and I'm going to lift you out of the pit. I'm going to give you something to drink and I'm going to give you something to eat. I'm going to bandage your wounds and then we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about life. Come eat from my bowl. Come on, let me flavor your life with my salt. And it says to invite the poor. All right. And then it also says to invite the disabled, the crippled, the injured, the people in need of healing. Now listen, we're all crippled, we're all injured, and we're all in need of healing. It says invite the lame, the people who are deprived of being whole. Without Christ, all of us are deprived of being whole. People who are limping along in life. It says, invite the blind, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual blind. The people who are spiritual blind. People who have lack of clarity in how they view life and spiritual things. We invite them into our lives. So I just want to encourage us this morning. We are salt and we are light. We're who God chooses to make a difference. We're bowls with salt. And when the people of Jericho come to you and say, it's unfruitful, it might look good, but there's no life in this water. Everything's barren. Nothing is fruitful. How can you help me? We stand and we're counted. And we make a difference for Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Chris to join me. And we've got some slides. We just want to show you about what we're doing in South Africa. So we love South Africa. Here we go. 
You know, walk us through the slides. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I want to condense a long story to a short story. It's very easy for us to minister in South Africa. You say, Jesus loves you, God loves you, God will provide for you. Wow, they get excited and want to hear more. You're in a much more difficult mission field. If you say God loves you, it's what God? Uh, Tiny talked about ministering to a kid in the bathroom. I was hunting in Wyoming. I wasn't hunting. I went with my brother-in-law and his sons to Wyoming to hunt. And one of them got an elk seven miles up the mountain. I said, I'm not going up that mountain with you to get that elk. So he dropped me off at a cowboy bar, and he said, I'll be back in two hours. I'm thinking four hours. Five and a half hours later, they came back. And I thought, great, I can have a burger, a Coke, and watch uh, Bonanza. <laughs> Halfway through the first episode, a woman sat down and said, these D.A.M. and Californians are destroying uh, Wyoming. I said, really? I was born in California. <laughs> but she got talking about how bad things were. I said, well, the whole country's changed. I said, we live overseas. When we come home, there's so much non-cisgendered, is that the right term, on commercials and all. Then she talks about her non-cisgendered girlfriend. So I have a knack of saying the wrong thing. Then she talked about her son's problem. We discussed her son's problem. About an hour. Then she left. A young man sat down, told me how bad he hurt because he was in the war, his emotional problems, and how poor the VA is talking or treating him. So we got to talk about God and healing and restoration. He left, and I'm seeing there's Haas, the episode where Haas has a girlfriend. Well, you know that woman, if Haas or Adam have a girlfriend, they're going to die. And then they have broken hearts. So his wife came and said, that was my husband. I said, well, your husband had a very interesting life. How about you? Oh, I was born with all my organs outside my body. My uh, birth mother abandoned me. I was placed in a foster home. I was abused for 14 years. And I said, how are you doing physically? She said, I'm fine. I said, isn't it amazing that the doctors were used to heal you and your soul and your spirit can be healed too? She said, yes, I believe in Jesus. So we talked quite a while. Guy comes up and says, do you know the earth is flat? I said, I'm not sure. The Bible says God rests his feet on the plate of the earth. Said, but also says he rests his feet on the globe of the earth. I do believe the earth was encased in a dome of ice before the flood. So he got all excited talking all these theories and his beliefs. And he said, yeah, he believes in Jesus and God, and, you know, but not like we do. I can't remember what, what else it was. But five hours of sitting in a cowboy bar with bananas in the background getting to witness to people. So congratulations on living in a hard country to minister to. God will open doors make it easy. I don't feel music. I want you to feel sorry for me because I don't feel it. I, I don't move to it. But this music was great today. I'd like to take you to Africa and let our people hear it. Now we've got a brief slides. The first one, it's, it stumps me. What happened? Is that the second slide? Yeah, the first one, what can you say about it? <laughs> Strong Cross Ranch, 2019, that's our ministry, and that's uh, the year. Okay? <laughs> Next one. 
Number two, please. Are we done? <laughs> the next one. The one with the, yeah. Ty should talk about this. If the police stop you and you've got a box of feminine products in your car, they will not search you. They will not tick, ticket you. They just want you to go away. But Strong Cross Ministries, we average uh, helping girls with 500 feminine products every month for some reason. And it's to help them stay in school. Because we have girls 21, 22 still in high school because they, they can't finish their terms. In South Africa, you do not graduate socially. You have to pass. Next, please. And to be fair to the boys, when the girls get a product, we meet with the boys. We try to give them toiletries like toothpaste, toothbrushes, and all. One woman said once, oh, the white people think we smell bad. Well, that's not it. It's just an expense they can't afford. And it's a gift to the boys. Next, please. Explore your roar. We had, was it three children's outreaches? Three, four, quite a few outreaches. And the theme was Explore Your Roar about Daniel and Dot. Instead, we did games, face basing. And one of the girls learned that Daniel ate all the lions. That was her takeaway. But we were able to minister about 1,200 kids in that time frame of two weeks. Everything we do is gospel-based. We're not there to do humanitarian only. We want to preach the gospel. And we use this method of reaching people. Next, please. This was year of great restoration. Mackey King is where we started. We built a, First, we built a house. The chief asked us to build a house for a family that had 13 orphans living in a zinc shack, which is still shiny, siding. The day we first visited, it was probably 105 to 110 inside the house, and they were all sleeping in mud floors. So the ministry was able to build a three-room house for them. Then we built a uh, drop-in center, and we've been feeding those kids. When I say we, I don't mean us. I mean us and Americans. We've been feeding these kids for about nine years now. Fifty-five kids at least every day that are at risk or orphans. But the pastor we work with was a crook, and he was stealing from us. Then he kicked us out of the village. And uh, that building sat vacant for probably four years, five years. Well, the village realized he was a crook, too. He's not allowed back there. If he goes back, the men force him out. He's been ordered to appear before the king, and he refuses to go. Well, that's like a mafia boss telling you to come. So eventually, the men in the village are going to go grab him and take him before the king, because he's done a lot of shady stuff in this village. But this year, and our hearts have always been at Mackey King. It was our first, and it, it was just a great mission field. This year, the men in the village, the village elders came to us and said, would you please come back and work with our children? So we had a, a man in a Bible school who lives in that area and is a natural leader. He's teaching Bible or a, son, a church there. The first Sunday, he had 50 adults and 50 kids. Our team has a Monday meeting with 200 kids every Monday now. They started a women's Bible study. They're going to start having a monthly braai or barbecue for the men. Because the men say openly, we want to learn to be better husbands. We want to be, learn to be better fathers. And they had heard about a monthly meeting we have in another village with the men. And the men sit and talk, and they went three hours to talk. 
which is unusual, especially for me. <laughs> Next, please. On a weekly basis, our team speaks about 750 kids. We have about 2,500 meals every month. Americans supply these kids with school supplies, clothing, medical, medicine, and medical treatment. And we have, uh, well, you can read it, Bible teaching, music, dance, games, and sports are all tools we use to reach the community. And in reaching the kids, we also reach the parents. Next, please. Zebediela is a rural up in the mountains church. You have to, we have to meet someone to show us the way there, even though we've been there. It's so far in. Very rocker, rocky, poor soil. This year we had a baptismal there. That lady's being baptized in a cow trough because there's no other, nothing else up there. We were going to fill up the back of my truck with pla- a plastic sheet and put water in there, but this was just easier. And she fit in there. What's this dancing stuff? You're doing a chicken dance? Why? Well, there's this Zebedee Ladies Conference, and that's how you're doing a chicken dance. How many people are baptized? Twenty-five, and this pastor also goes to a Bible school, America's sponsor. It's a state-certified school, so they'll have accreditation when they graduate. And I wasn't there for this. I forget where I was. I was in uh, South Africa helping move rhinos. But Tiny said his preaching was accurate because a lot of times when they baptize, they'll baptize three times or seven times, or they hold you under until you start kicking. <laughs> Next, please. Crutch Ministry, Crutch's Preschool. Our team goes to different preschools and uses the Bible and coloring books and stuff to teach the gospel to, I don't know how many, but a lot of kids. Why are you laughing? I don't like talking. Next, please. Center Shot is an American Christian program using archery to present the gospel about Christ being your center point, your aim, your focus. It teaches discipline, uh, the value of practicing. And they had a team come from America, and we went to, don't tell me, Kapila. 400 kids came for that. I think 100 were too young to shoot. But 300 kids who'd never seen a bow and arrow got to shoot a couple times and got the gospel and meals throughout the day. Waterberg Christian Centrum. Centrum is a service. It's a white church we we go to. And he's the pastor of the Bible school. Tanya does a weekly uh, radio program. And they asked her if she knew an Afrikaans-speaking pastor. They said, we can't get anybody. So Tanya spoke to our pastor. Now he has a weekly show on a radio station in Afrikaans. Well, there's the radio show. Next, please. Is that all? Oh, there may be one more. Just that Americans through Strong Cross, we don't just play with kids. We also impact the lives of men and women. Do you want to add anything to that? I was upset when she said we're changing in the order because I had to wait longer to get this over. But thank you for your attention and time and for the support of the people in the church. Okay, can you go to the next slide? 
All right, that's Portia, and that's David. Portia and David just got married. Is that exciting? Really exciting. (laughs) So let me just tell you a couple minutes about Portia, and then we're going to pray. But um, Portia has worked for us for seven years. She has been trying to marry David for over four years. Okay, this is what happens. Dating really isn't part of the culture there. So what happens is young men and young women, they just go for walks. Now, I'm not sure why that's not called dating, but it's not. So um, David has to pay a bride price in order to marry Portia. And the bride price is determined based on education based on jobs, based on all kinds of things. So because Portia works for Americans, her bride price is expensive. And then David, um, he's a little older than Portia. Great guy. Portia's a wild thing, so David kind of calms her down and reins her in. So Portia's dad, David and Portia were all set to get married. Portia's dad passed away. So in the culture... If someone dies in your family, you have to wait a year to get married. That's the grieving time. So Portia and David are all scheduled to get married, and David's dad dies. So now they're waiting two years when they've already waited. And we were concerned about sexual purity. And so Portia was just acting pregnant this year. She was waddling a little bit, and she had on clothes that were trying to hide body parts, and she was just sitting in a peculiar way, and her energy level wasn't what it normally was. And so I say to Portia, okay, Portia, just be honest with me. Are you you expecting? No, Mom, I'm not expecting. I'm not expecting. Well, two weeks before we get ready to leave, Portia's expecting. The culture in South Africa sets people up for failure. It really does. Paying a bride price, having all kinds of rules about what your relationship looks like, having parents decide who you marry, who you don't marry, what the ceremony looks like, where you're going to live, it sets couples up for failure. So David and Portia meet meet with us. And they want to know, okay, what do we do now? Chris and I say, you need to get married. You need to begin building your life together. You need to begin building your family and have your own place to live and all of those kinds of things. Now, culture would say that David and Portia can't get married till this coming June. And that there's all kinds of things they go to have to do. They have to go to the graveyard and they sit by the ancestors' graves and they call on the ancestors to bless their marriage and to unite the dead so that on earth people can be united. They leave beer at the graveside for the uh, deceased to drink. They leave money in case they... Dead want to come back to the earth and purchase something. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, Portia and David do not want to dishonor their families. 
Boy, and we understand that. None of us want to dishonor our families. So Chris and I began to pray. Lord, make a way. Let us help this couple. Don't make them just have a baby and they can't be together. Because that's what would happen. Portia's baby is due in uh, February. The culture would say that Portia could have the baby, but she'd need to live with her mom. And David would need to live with his mom. And then when the two moms agree, then they can get married, which could be months. David would be denied even seeing his child. Now, we know that's not God's best. So Portia and David talk to their moms since since their dads are both deceased. And the moms agree that they can get married. So Chris and I, we go to this hotel where there's just a beautiful restaurant. We decorate. It's so fun. Um, I do the ceremony, and Chris gives Portia away. (laughs) And they get married. Amen. Now listen. One of the things that we teach in South Africa is sexual purity. Because we think that's God's best. But we also teach those things because of the AIDS epidemic. We know that if a young woman has a baby outside of wedlock, she's going to be stuck. We get that. If a young girl has a baby and there's 80 to 90% unemployment in her village, first of all, she can't finish high school if she's that young. There's no opportunity for her to further her education. There's no provision for her to care for her baby. Her life changes. She's ostracized in the community. They curse her. They curse the baby. They tell the young woman, the community will have nothing to do with you. They speak death over this baby. It's horrible. So what we do is we tell Portia, we're not punishing you, but we're removing you out of public ministry and we're putting you in an administrative role. And we're doing that because if you even stand before a group of people, the women, older women in that church will stand, they'll shake their fists at you and they'll curse you and they will curse your baby. And we are not setting you up for that to happen. Babies are a gift from God. Blessing should be spoken over mamas and babies. The goodness of God should be declared over mamas and babies. Nothing should be said about a baby. Nothing should be said about a pregnant woman. We walk with them. We celebrate. We help. We do everything we can for mothers and babies to be healthy. So I just want to explain, in South Africa, life is crazy. There are witch doctors. They have polo shirts and they sit under trees and give advice and make magic potions. They don't wear loincloths and have bones in their noses. Where we go, children literally, if you touch their hair, their hair breaks off because they're malnourished. People have college degrees, but they can't get jobs because the government's corrupt. Children to go to get immunized, and there aren't enough shots. Children die of diseases that would never happen in America. People stand in line for food only to be told there's not enough food. And these days, there's not enough medication. 
and the government steals from the people and lies. The people get upset. They riot. Our little town of Mokopani has been closed half the time this year because people are burning tires in the streets. Because they have a mayor who drives a big old beautiful car and has hired all of her siblings and children and grandchildren to work for the government. But people are living without running water, utilities, and bathrooms. So, America has problems. South Africa has problems. And God is calling us to make a difference. He's calling us to make a difference in our worlds. So we just want to thank you. Thank you for supporting and thank you for helping and walking alongside of us. Together, we're making a difference in South Africa. And Chris and I are believing that together, we're going to make a difference in your community. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.